every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Part living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, fourth Saturday of the month. So we've got farmer Greg joining us from the urban farm. And you know it's a beautiful morning, Greg, because this is the last week of June. And historically, June is always Arizona's hottest month. So we're, we're through it for the year. <laughs> nice. And today, uh, you've got lined out for us water harvesting, and uh, mm. that can be deceitful because uh, a lot of our minds, my mind goes straight to rain, but we're, we're it doesn't say rain harvesting. It says water harvesting. Water harvesting. Yeah. And um, often when people talk about rainwater harvesting or water harvesting in general, it's about rain and a tank. And there are so many other options than just rain in a tank. And the water harvesting types that I look at here at the urban farm are rainwater when we get some rain. You know, last year we got skunked. <laughs> and we got we got zero monsoons last year. But and then you also have the story about a time your tank got filled up in a matter of hours. Minutes. Minutes. Minutes, yeah. And in um September of 2014, we got three inches of rain in an hour and a half here at the urban farm and filled up the tank in the yard uh, with, uh, when I did the math on that rain event, 29,000 gallons of water <laughs> in, in, a, in an hour and a half. Yeah, it was amazing. So rainwater is one type of water harvesting. Gray water, which is legal in the state of Arizona to do as long as you follow the state's 13 guidelines of collecting and distributing gray water, it's legal to do that. And gray water is any water that goes down any drain of your house, except your kitchen sink and your toilets, which is about 80% of the water that we get that goes through our house. And it's essentially, once you've used it, it's free. So we might as well figure out how to get it out into our landscape. And we'll talk about that in a little while. And then there's stormwater harvesting. And stormwater harvesting is really water that runs by your house on the street. And how can you figure out how to utilize that? And there are some great options and opportunities for that. Then there's my evaporative cooler. You know, I love my evaporative cooler. We still use it. I had one when I was a kid here in the 70s. And when I bought the urban farm 32 years ago, there was a place on the roof for an evap cooler, but there wasn't one there. And I immediately put in, put one in. And this is also called swamp cooling or evaporative cooling. And it's it paid for itself. It was $1,200 back in 1989 to put it up on the roof and it paid for itself in a year and a half from saving electricity from air conditioning. But you can only use the evap from, uh, well, you can't use the evap in July, August, September because it's just too dang humid. But there is a steady stream of water that comes off of your evaporative cooler that it's, you know, it's like the condensation that drips off of your roof from your air conditioning. Collect those and use them. So those are, those are just, those are the main ways that I do water harvesting here in 
at the urban farm. And what I'm looking for when I'm doing it is I'm looking for places that water's coming off for free that I can direct, collect, direct, and put it in my landscape and use it for watering things. And those months that you're not running the evaporative cooler, you know, evap cooling works by adding moisture to the air. Air conditioning works by removing moisture from the air. So right. when you turn off your VAP cooler and you turn on your air conditioning, there's a condensate drain line yep. that is, is all the air, all the moisture that the air conditioning is removing from the air is directed out of your house. It's a little plastic uh, tube that comes out of the side of your house. And, and depending on the height and the style and location of the equipment, there may be two uh, PVC coming out at the same time and what the that's for is if the top one's leaking and not the bottom one it's a backup so you know there's something's Uh, clogging your drain so that's something you definitely need to investigate if you've got two condensation lines and water's coming out of the top and not the bottom that's your warning sign to check it out and it makes an amazing i mean gallons of water per day can come off of your condensation and it's purified then dad uses it for his dog's drinking water because it's it it's absolutely purified water (laughs) right exactly exactly so those are the the rainwater harvesting i'm sorry those are the water harvesting i'm just so yeah into the rainwater part right we got to retrain ourselves at this keep saying that we need it to fall as quickly as possible (laughs) and so and really what i do is i pay attention to where's the water especially these days and how can i redirect it into my landscape so well let's dive in you've got all of you know so those are all the different elements of water harvesting and uh let's start off with uh with the first one you've got here on uh gray water harvesting systems you said there's 13 points that we have to follow when doing uh water gray water harvesting we won't go through all 13 of those but uh you can get that from your local uh municipalities one-stop shop that handles all the building codes and permit regulations yeah and you may have to educate them some because they don't always know about it but it is a document called best practices for gray water harvesting in arizona from the arizona department of environmental quality azdeq and they have that available for you. So, uh, well, we'll definitely get that link thrown up on the archive page for nice. uh, today's broadcast for easy point of reference. If uh, this broadcast just so inspires you to take action and do a little bit more of your on-site water harvesting, yes. And and really, what we're talking about here is watching where the water is coming from and directing it into your landscape for best use. So it's not running away from you, it's running into your landscape. So that's, in permaculture, permaculture I like to call the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in the flow of nature? The number one thing to do in permaculture is observe, sit back and pay attention. Now I've been looking at water harvesting for so long here in the desert for over 30 years. When I walk into a property, I can just look to see and I can see signs about where the water's coming from and where it's going. And so I, I really want to encourage our listeners out there today, start paying attention, especially when it's raining, 
where's that water coming from and where it's going. And the big thing is, is and we call this the water source. The big thing we want to do is get it into the get it to the place of our in our landscape that it's uh, most useful for us. Um, and there's essentially there's five components of a water harvesting system. We just talked about the first one, the water source. Where is your water coming from and where is it going? Then there's uh, part number two, and this is from Art Ludwig's book, Creating an Oasis with Gray Water. If you're interested in, uh, in gray water systems, that's the Bible book to get for gray water harvesting. The second part is the collection and distribution plumbing. This is the gutters and pipes that get the water to where you want to use it at. The third part of his system uh, is the tank, the filter, and the pump. Now, I, I like designing my gray water and rainwater systems so that I don't need a tank, a filter, and a pump because the most expensive part of putting in a gray water and rainwater system is the tank, the filter, and the pump. So if you could design your system so that you didn't have to have that, you're in the bonus round. I mean, literally a non-tanked system here at the Urban Farm that distributes half of the water off of my roof. So it's a basically gutter, pipe down into the ground and a pipe that runs about 80, about 30 feet out into my yard, $80 to put that in. On the north side of my property, I put in a rainwater harvesting tank. It collects the same amount of rainwater when it rains and it costs $1,800 to put it in. So 80 bucks, 1,800 bucks. They both do the same, they both do the same thing. It's just that the, uh, it's just that the tank holds onto the water for use later the, the ground where you're putting the water holds onto the water so that your plants can use it later. And so I'm glad. And the difference here when we're collecting rainwater, that's different than gray water. You wouldn't want to store gray water. You, you, you want that going straight to point of use. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> exactly. Because gray water becomes black water and very stinky very fast. So Part number three, so we got the water source, the collection and distribution plumbing, and we got part number three is the tank, the filter, and the pump, which as you already know, I'm not a great fan of. Then there's the landscape. Where in your landscape do you want this water? Where does it do the most work? And then the fifth piece is the what we call the people, the place, and the design. It's standing back and looking at the whole system to make sure that you design and implement this whole process as effectively as possible. So there, <clears throat> the five elements of gray water harvesting. And again, this is just gray water. We're still going to talk about rainwater and storm well, no, water. This is rain. This is rainwater rain, and gray water. Rainwater so any, and gray water. That applies yeah. to both. Yeah. Any rainwater, any, see, I do it myself. Any water <laughs> harvesting system that we put in place, um, those are the five components that you really need to look at in order to be successful with putting a system in. We're talking water, water, not rain, water harvesting with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm here at Rosie on the house. 
All right, so we just wrapped up with Farmer Greg talking about the five components to rain and gray water harvesting. Uh, that's the components. The next thing we're going to talk about is the design system, and it will rain again. You know, it doesn't seem like it. I know people are getting skeptical, but it will rain again. Yeah. Okay, if you say so. It will rain again. I've lived here 52 years. Of the, rain. the monsoons always eventually come. So what we want to do is we want to think about your property where you're going to be doing water harvesting, really where you're going to be doing everything, permaculture and gardening and that kind of stuff as a whole system. So you need to, to look at this design process from a whole systems perspective. And um, each system itself is a little bit different when it comes to water harvesting. And I love this quote by Art Ludwig, the one universally applicable principle for all, he said gray water systems, I say water harvesting systems, is that there is no <laughs> universally applicable principle. That's why it's hard for companies to put a product out called a rainwater harvesting system for your house. So what your job is, you have to stand back, do a little bit of research, pay attention to what's going on in your property, and then start designing from there. So it's a design process. And I promise you, it's easy to do. It's, it's Tinker Toy-like. You just have to figure out where the water's coming from in your property, where you want it to go, and the different systems, the different pipes, the different gutters that would, you would do to need to get it there. Does that make sense? It, absolutely. All right, cool. Um, so that's, that's the second piece of this process. The third piece of this process is I really want you to consider keeping it inexpensive and simple because a typical residential water harvesting system is going to save you maybe five to twenty dollars a month so if you're putting in a, a water harvesting tank that costs fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars <laughs> the return on your investment is decades and you, now, you said what five to ten dollars a week or a month per month so let's just go on the high side. Yeah, that's uh, 150 years. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Well, we are living longer, you know. Oh, there you go. There you go. So really spend time to make it inexpensive and simple as possible. Um, one of the key pieces for a system is that you need to slope the pipe, whatever kind of water in order to move it through to your landscape, the pipe needs to slope a quarter inch per foot. Another key piece is you never want to dead end a water harvesting system in dirt or gravel, because what happens very quickly is where that water is, the roots are gonna go. And I had a rainwater harvesting tank in the ground. And this was, when I say tank, I don't mean a tank to hold water, I mean, a a space for water to land and then soak into the ground immediately. And it filled up with dirt and gravel. And when I dug it out a couple of years later, it was solid roots. So once, once the roots find that water, they're going to go to it. So the key piece here is when we exit the water subsurface, when we're putting the water underground, we need to put it in some kind of tank underground that is an airspace 
and doesn't have a bottom in it so that the water comes out of your system and it and immediately percolates into the ground. That airspace um, almost guarantees that no roots are going to clog the pipe up because generally roots don't grow uphill. That disbursement of water coming out of the pipe, like I said, it could go on top of roots. You know, you could be dispersing this on the shrub line or you know, citrus right. tree, whatever the case. But the the key is the pipe isn't in the ground, that the water is falling onto the ground, like you said, because the root's not going to come up out of the ground and grow vertically up into the pipe and then start coming up your system. Right. And the, yes. And what I just explained is that how to do it with an underground pipe. By and having actually, that big area tank, tank. Exactly. Underground that has an airspace. And um, I have a free class that I offer all of your listeners. They can go find it at um, uh, urbanfarmwater.com. It's my rainwater harvesting and gray water harvesting class that I give. So they can, they can go and find out more about that. Um, the next piece is storing water is the most expensive way to go. So the best thing, in my opinion, is to, rather than harvesting it and storing it, harvest it and then direct it into your landscape where you want things to grow and then plant your landscape around where you've planted your water. So we talk, we call this planting your water first and then landscape around it. And what is so expensive about storing water? The tank. Just the my, tank itself? Oh yeah, well the tank and the insulation. My, my rainwater harvesting tank that I put in in 2004 here at the urban farm materials on it in 15 years ago, 16 years ago, materials on it were 1400 bucks. <laughs> and I ran, and I ran a class around it. So there was no, um, there was no cost for labor, but normally a tank, the size of my rainwater harvesting tank, it's a metal culvert, seven feet tall, uh, four foot diameter holds about 750 gallons of water is, um, installed price probably is going to cost you $2,500 to $3,000. All right, we can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. That music indicates bottom of the hour news. We'll be right back. In the urban farm with farmer Greg. It is so important if you have, and this is me preaching, you guys didn't set me up on this, go to rosieonthehouse.com because those guys and gals that you guys certify, they're amazing. I've had so many incredible experiences and I automatically go to Rosie on the house to find them with your certified people. Man. Well, thank great. you. We work every day to make that the one-stop shop for all your homeowner needs. Yeah. Rosieonthehouse.com. Welcome back, and if you're just joining us, we were right in the middle of a conversation about water harvesting with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm, and he was mentioning that storing water is expensive for the tank. I thought you were going to say it was because uh, all the things we had to do to keep algae from growing and uh, to keep mm. it purified, but you mentioned that the way tanks are designed, that's not an issue anymore. That's great, awesome, but uh, it's still the upfront infrastructure cost. So, Right now, am I, I'm not saying that it's not good to put in tanks. If you're in a place, so my friend Barbara 
lives just outside of Tucson in Marana. She has on a well that occasionally will go dry and she has the rainwater coming off of her roof. So in that kind of a situation, it makes perfect sense to put in rainwater tanks, which she's done on every corner of her roof. That goes back to the return on investment. What is your water cost where you're at and what's the cost of your tanks to get it in? So I usually tell people first step, plant the water in the landscape. And through this process, you need to figure out, is it cost effective to put in tanks? And you had mentioned the pricing going to the break. I can tell you that pricing's with the cost of materials right now. It's oh, probably even more than we would guesstimate it at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the nice thing about my tank in my backyard is the culvert. You know, it's just a, a four foot diameter metal culvert that was eight feet long that I bought. And uh, we, you know, did a whole process by which we put put that put it in and planted it with concrete. And, you know, I, I, it's a permanent fixture now here 16 years later that collects rainwater and it will continue doing that. Um, but in retrospect, I wouldn't have made that choice to do that in that particular way. All right. So making the case for, and this particular segment, rainwater, we're very distinct yeah. to separate water harvesting from rainwater, but specifically for rainwater, making the case for, for harvesting it. So I actually get this same question for people in the desert as people in a very rainy place. People in the desert is, why should I bother harvesting rainwater? We don't get enough. And people in a really rainy place say, why should I bother, bother harvesting water? We get so much. <laughs> and really the bottom line answer to that is it's free. And it's pretty pure. And uh, you know, my friend Brad Lancaster down in Tucson, hello Kismet, Kismet saying hi. My friend down, uh, Brad Lancaster down in Tucson, um, drinks rainwater. He collects the rainwater off of his roof, and that's what he drinks. I assume he doesn't have an asphalt roof. It's probably like a metal roof. Metal or... roof, exactly. <laughs> yes, if you're going to drink your water, you're, you definitely definitely need a uh, metal roof, and you probably want to put in a uh, filtration system. Sloped so, metal roof. You wouldn't want to do a flat foam roof either. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, so can you um, make fire water out of rainwater by chance? <laughs> That's a different show. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, lost my mind there for a second. <laughs> so the, the, here's the key thing. For every 1,000 square feet of collection area, for one inch of every inch of rain you get, you get about 600 gallons of water. Remember at the top of the show, um, I – said that we got 29,000 gallons of water in a hour and a half long three inch event. How I did it is I did the math on the property. I have 14,000 square feet and um, you know we're getting 600 gallons for every inch. That means for every thousand square feet that day, we got three inches of rain. That's 1,800 gallons of water for every thousand square feet. And that adds up, especially- That, that adds as, up. That adds up, and especially if you're wanting to, um, you know, put it in your landscape and get your landscape water. Um, here in the desert, 
you don't necessarily need to drip irrigate desert landscaping if you're planting the water. So once your desert landscape is established, it can go on rainwater, especially if you're pushing extra rainwater off of your roof surfaces. So real quickly, I have a, I've got my tail of two rainwater harvesting systems and I mentioned this earlier. My rainwater tank, we had about $1,400 worth of uh, supplies uh, to put it in. It's not passive. It requires me to go out and turn on a spigot in order to use it. So it's almost passive, but in order to use that water, I have to go put a hose in place. That is for the north half of my roof. The south half of my roof is a tankless system. That was the $80 one that I put in. And basically the water runs down a pipe and about 30 feet out into one of my small orchards here at the urban farm. And it's the sustainability system that I'm most proud of here at the urban farm because if the house is still standing in 50 years, this system, the $80 system, is simple enough that it will still be up and running just exactly the way I've designed it. And it's like I'm patting myself on the back because that is a brilliant design. And it was 80 bucks. And it was 80 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and when you mentioned your urbanfarmwatering.com earlier and uh, the watering class, I'm sure we can get a little more detail about that system and the design uh, yes. and use that as we're yep. trying to look at the design elements for our own urban farms. And right. uh, just if you've never uh, heard or not familiar with the urban farm, we're not talking about a big piece of land, an urban farm. You're on a third of an acre, Greg? Yep, uh, 14,000 square feet. So not I – mean, that's pretty typical lot size for a lot of homes. I don't know that there's mm-hmm. – uh, many that are much smaller uh the difference is the homes are a lot bigger now on those right, on those exactly. lots than they were built back in the uh you know in, in your neighborhood when they were developing it in the 50s and 60s and 70s um yeah. but that doesn't mean we can't utilize the space around your home that's on your property to uh, exactly. you know, have have your own kind of uh, food orchard or uh, shade shade Shade. Um, I tell you what. Herb gardens. Right, you know, right exactly. I think, is it Jay or, or one, one of our – I think it's Jay always makes the point that herbs cost the most and are, grow the best. Oh, no, that's me. I'm that, sorry. That's Farmer Greg. Sorry. You know, the, these things cost Basil. the most in the yeah. produce section, but it's some of the easiest stuff to grow. To grow. Yeah. <laughs> that stuff grows wild in my yard now. I, right now, today, I have basil, oregano, parsley, cilantro two weeks ago, dill, all growing wild in my yard. And it's because of the systems that I put in place and the rainwater harvesting that I've got in place. And there really is something to your meal when you have those fresh versus the no. dried up shakers from the, the can. <laughs> I mean, the, right. there's a, a definite difference to your meal. Yeah. So gray water. Do we have time in this segment to touch on that? Let's do it. All right. So the reason to use gray water, and remember gray water is any water that goes down any sink or drain in your house, except your kitchen sink and your toilets. Those are called black water. And um, this will help reduce the use. If you figure out how to get it into your landscape, it helps reduce the use of fresh water. 
It's going to reduce the strain on septic and treatment systems because it's not putting as much water in them. Um, this is in permaculture something we call stacking functions. And stacking functions is one of my favorite concepts, uh, both in permaculture. And I don't know if you know this, but I went back to school late in life and I got a urban planning degree from Arizona State University in 04. And in one of my classes at ASU called transportation planning, they call it trip stacking. So the concept basically is you don't go to the grocery store and come home and go to the doctor and come home and go to the drugstore. What you do is you go to, go to the grocery store, the doctor and the drugstore, and then you come home. That's what called, that's called trip stacking. So in our landscapes, we can also do the same thing. And right now what we're talking about with gray water is you use water to shower and then you figure out how to get it into your landscape, which we can talk about, um, and it waters your plant. So you're effectively watering that, using that water twice. Um, and so the, you know, that's, I love that. I absolutely love it. And I'm trying hard not to uh, badmouth anybody, but that trip stacking, I've noticed with how much people order from home, how the delivery service are a huge violation of that. You'll see him coming in the neighborhood, and then two hours later, mm -hmm. he's over here, and then three hours mm -hmm. later, you see him over there, like, you know. <laughs> it, would it be, would it kill you to just wait till the end of the day, get them all in the neighborhood, do once tomorrow, know. instead of yeah. back and forth five times in the day? <laughs> and making all right turns throughout that whole trip, because that'll save oh, you more yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So a big thing with uh, gray water harvesting is, and we talked about this earlier, you don't ever want to store it. It turns to black water pretty quickly. Um, most of my rainwater and gray water systems, where they exit out of the pipe is in a mulch basin. And I'm, uh, you know, if you've listened to this show, you know I can't say enough about heavy duty mulch. Six, eight, 10, 12 inches of mulch on dirt will start building healthy soil very quickly. So what I've done is um, I've set up mulch basins around my landscape so that the water exits the rainwater and gray water harvesting systems and enters into this mulch basin that's like a sponge. And the main mulch basin that I have off my back patio, uh, when I first dug it out, I dug three feet down and three feet wide and I filled it with woody mulch. And, Every year I just throw some more woody mulch in there and that acts as the water disbursement area for a lot of my rainwater and rainwater systems here at the urban farm. That's a stacked function. That is a stacked function. That's right, because the mulch and water is acting like a sponge. It's receiving the water. If it's gray water, it's receiving the water. The mulch is cleaning the water if there's from any impurities. Plus, I have citrus trees parked right next to my basins, my rainwater and graywater basins that take that water up and um, make fruit. And next month, we're going to be talking composting. Now, mulching and composting are a little different, but a big part of composting is uh, you know, you, having some kind of water added to it to help uh, the heat process. So there is uh, – an element to composting that can come into this mulching as well, I assume. Okay. You've, if, if there's a way to do it, I'm, I'm sure you've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> Experimented with it, at least. All right, we have one final segment here with Farmer Greg at Rosie on the House here in our Outdoor Living Hour, fourth Saturday of the month. So we're in the urban farm. We'll 
So about Blackwater, is that what the Doobie Brothers were actually singing about, Farmer Gray? I think they were singing something about the swamp. Uh, yeah. They? <laughs> Final segment here, talking water harvesting, and during the break, we were kind of visiting about the the gray water systems and understanding. You know, it, you you have basically two plumbing systems for your home. You've got your kitchen sink and your toilets that's still going to your septic or city service. Mm-hmm. Then you have a second drain system. Uh, you, it could be your uh, if you've got a water treatment system, it could be your. Uh, where it does its recharge, uh, that's usually done down the same drain that your uh, laundry machine is going from uh, on the newer home designs. It could be, uh, you know, if you flush out your water heater uh, on a regular basis, mm-hmm. all of your uh, bathroom sinks. What, what else am I missing? I, I think that probably uh, wraps it up because your dishwasher drains down your same drain as the sink, so you don't have to right. worry about that one being uh, infiltrating into your gray water system right so it's a it's a thought process when we're taking gray water from inside our house to outside of our house and generally what's done with that is you have to step into an already existing system put a side pipe on of some kind and run the water out into the landscape they call them laundry to landscape. You can often, you can sim- fairly simply do a your washing machine out to the landscape, but it requires replumbing. Now, if you're building a house, then you can put gray water systems in place while you're building it. So what I've done here at the urban farm is I actually replumbed one of my bathrooms with a Jandy valve underneath the sink. Now a Jandy valve is a pool system valve for your swimming pool. And my Jandy valve, uh, it's a it's a go out to the sewer or go to the landscape. So it's just a valve that you switch if you want to run diverter. water to the land. It's a diverter, yeah, thank you. Um, and so I have the ability to run water out into my landscape that I've replumbed a bathroom here at the house. I was built in 1948, so it's it's a big project to do that. But the other thing that's even better is you actually move the systems outside. You can, uh, you know, put your uh, washing machine, you can move it out to an external wall or out into your landscape, and then that water can just pump right down to your landscape. I also, here at the Urban Farm, I built a outdoor washing sink in a little kitchen area so that and I plumbed that out into the landscape. I also moved one of my shower, I built an outdoor shower so that we can, uh, you know, go outside, shower off in the summertime, and that water goes out into the landscape. So that's the, that's the two ways to think about, um, you either replumb your house or you move some of the systems outside if you can do that. No, an outdoor shower, I don't know why they don't do those more. I made sure when I built my home to have uh, right. the plumbing design to have an outdoor shower because when you're outside all day and you're working, you don't want to drive, walk in through your clean home. Uh, completely disgusting. There's even times uh, I just turn on with my clothes because even my wow. clothes are so drenched and right. you got the sweat stains and the calcium and 
you know, get those rinsed off and then start taking those because they're so dirty. You don't even want to put those in the dishwasher. <laughs> and the, I'm sorry, the the laundry machine. Now they probably either. need to go into the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you don't want you don't want to put these clothes that are full of dirt right into the, the washing machine. So the the benefits to an outdoor shower, and then if are for huge. anyone that has a swimming pool as well, that's another great function. But using that to uh, just instead of it just going uh, right there on the ground, having it yeah, diverted yeah. to a place of function. Yeah, I got to be careful with swimming pools and um, water softeners. Both of them, uh, swimming pools have chlorine in them. And I mean, and for people that swim, that to get out and then take a shower to oh, rinse the, them yeah, themselves off. We always yeah. rinsed off in the hose, but at uh, growing up, but I, I didn't mean using pool water for. Gray water. You gotta be, yeah, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, and people that have so, beach houses in Florida, they have outdoor showers just a quick, uh, you know, coming off yeah. of the ocean. They just clean themselves off and go back in the yeah, house. Of course. Yeah. Arizona Department of Environmental Quality has a document called Using Gray Water in Your Home, and it is a just a two-page PDF. I just typed in Google Arizona Gray Water Regulations, and um, it just talks about what gray water is and, you know, how to most effectively use it. It's really straightforward. If you go to your city, because everything I did here is at the urban farm was permitted. And in 2005, I was putting in the gray water systems and I went to the city to get permits for the back patio. And they said, no, you need, a, you need to hook up to the sewer. And it's like, I had to educate them. So if they come and tell you, no, you can't do that, send me an email and I can help. Um, and with the final minute here, wrapping up, uh, mm-hmm. Greg, you had a couple additional resources to share. Yeah, so uh, I have a class, my Wickedly Smart Water Harvesting. You can find it at urbanfarmwater.com. Uh, we talked about the Arizona gray water regulations. Brad Lancaster is probably one of the top five people on the planet for rainwater and gray water harvesting. His, uh, water, his website and books, get his books, they're amazing. His website is harvestingrainwater.com. And really, here's the key. First and foremost, plan. And then when you're done planning, do some more planning. (laughs) Do your research. Figure it out. It's easier to to cut once than cut, you know, make the wrong cut and have it start over again, metaphorically, of course. And then pay, pay attention to what you're putting down the drain. Urbanfarm.org. Thank you, Farmer Greg, and we look forward to seeing you next month. We'll be talking composting. Stay cool out there. Love it. Thanks.